Let's continue to look at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14. If you turn with me there, Mark chapter 14, and we see how wonderful and marvelous he is and what he's done for us. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we see the picture uh, that he painted for his disciples and that we've been looking at ever since uh, through his, uh, his supper that he had with them the night uh, of his arrest. Mark chapter 14, starting with the 12th verse. Mark fourteen twelve, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's the Passover feast, when, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, of course, there are a lot of, a lot of other details about that night found you know, through all four of the Gospels. But as we look at Mark's account of that night, it's, it's both uh, worshipful and sobering. Sobering because of what took place just before he broke the bread and shared the cup. As he told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And think about what that, what that meant, who, who that person, that one, was betraying, and, and how Jesus had just moments before reminded them again that he's God. The way that he sent his disciples into the city to find the place to, to celebrate the Passover. Amazing. Now, certainly, he could have set up things that, that the person was expect, you know, the owner of the house was expecting him. That's fine. 
But the way Jesus sent his disciples in to find that house was a statement reminding them again who he is. Jerusalem had a lot of people running around at this time of year. A lot of people making preparations for the Passover. Probably very few men, however, were uh, carrying water jug, water um, jugs, vases. That was that was something the women would have been doing. So he sends them in to find the guy who's doing it, and they go into the city, and there he is doing it, just like Jesus said he would. They just followed him to where he was going, and then when he got there, they did what he said, and boom, it was the right place. Just another reminder, and all of. His disciples heard him say that. The ones that went into town came back and said, you know, just like earlier in the week on Sunday when he told us how we were going to find the donkey to ride into town, he did the same thing, sending us in to let us know where we're going to celebrate the Passover. And still, Judas had in his heart, because remember, Judas was a faker the whole time. We read in one of the accounts of of the uh, when when Jesus was anointed um, by by the woman, and that happened twice. Two different women did that anointing. But in one of those on one of those occasions, Judas was one who spoke up against the waste of the money. And then there was this little side note that the author gives us. It says Judas really wasn't concerned about the money, but he was stealing money out of the treasury that they were collecting because they, they kept money to give to people and stuff and, and to take care of their needs. And Judas was, t- was keeping some for himself, so he was concerned about them wasting that money. He would have had a good take on that. So all along, he was a faker. He was never a true disciple of Jesus. Oh, he followed him around physically, but in his heart, he didn't believe that Jesus was God himself, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah that we're singing about this morning, didn't believe that Jesus was going to save them from their sins. He didn't believe that. He had other other plans. And so Judas still to this moment didn't believe. Even when Jesus showed him one last time the way that he sent the disciples in to find the Passover room to celebrate, he still didn't believe. And Jesus makes a very profound statement when he, when he considers that betrayal, he said it would have been better for that guy, Judas, to have never been born. Why? Because God's judgment on those who don't believe is severe. Is severe. And he's making that statement in the context of what he's about to do for everybody who believes. That he is making the offer, believe in me and your sins will be forgiven. Believe in me and you will have the gift of eternal life. Believe in me and you'll be drinking with me in the kingdom as he finishes this this supper. But Judas still hell-bent on doing his thing his way. And how many people do you know like like Judas who are hell-bent in doing things their way, not willing to receive the facts, not not willing to receive the truth, not willing to receive by faith what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was able to do for them? 
How many people do you know like him? And the same thing is true for them as was true for him. It would have been better that they would never have been born. But praise God, even knowing that, as Jesus knows all things, even knowing that Judas wasn't going to receive him, and as sad as I'm sure that made him, he continued on to describe to the disciples what he was about to do. And so in sharing this very common supper, because remember, these guys had been doing this every year of their lives. And had done it with Jesus at least twice before. He went on to explain to them that he was about to fulfill everything that the Passover pictured of him thousands of years earlier. As he took the bread... That bread that I shared with, showed with the, shared with the children this morning, that flat matzah bread, yeastless, pretty tasteless, kind of dull, but a picture of sinlessness because the yeast was gone. Jesus broke it and said, eat this, it's my body. My body is about to be broken for you. Believe in me. What a picture. And then he took the cup. The cup that either just before the supper or right after the supper, because they were singing hymns both before and after. And Psalm 116, which we read this morning that Mark led us in, did you hear that statement, I lift the cup of salvation? That's, that's one of the Passover songs. And Jesus lifted the cup. And said, this is my blood of the covenant. Not the old covenant. Not the old covenant which was given. Remember why the old covenant was given. Because God knew they were going to break it. God knew they wouldn't be able to keep it. God knew that it would point them, if they looked at it correctly, to the Savior who would come to fulfill it all the one and only Son of God who could come and live out the, the, the law of God in perfection. Every single bit of it. We should stand amazed at that fact this morning. We were singing about standing amazed at our Savior. We should stand amazed at the fact that he was able to live as the Son of God in perfection. Think about that. Think about your sins just for a minute. I know we don't like to do that, and particularly since we've confessed those sins, and if we haven't, we should do it right now. In your heart, just, just confess it or them to him right now, because we don't want to hang on to those things. Those sins that we commit and we don't confess, they break our fellowship with God. They keep us from communing with him in the way that he wants us to. They keep us from understanding his word like he wants us to. They keep us from being able to serve him in, fellow, in the fellowship of his church as he wants us to. So when you know you have sinned, confess it. But think about your sins and what he has done for you. Think about the time, and, and this, I was thinking about this as we were singing this morning. And I was thinking about his grace. And when I first understood it, and what an amazing great truth that was for me to find out that the way I was operating up till I was 10 years old 
was I was trying to get my good stuff to outweigh my bad stuff. And you know how well I was doing at that? It wasn't working out. It wasn't working out. I wasn't, you know, a murderer until I read the Sermon on the Mount. And then I realized even that I had done in my heart. Think about the, te- the attempts that you had made before you met Christ, or maybe you're here this morning in an attempt to try to get your good stuff to outweigh your sin, and you're realizing it's not working. And it doesn't work. And Jesus knew it wouldn't work, and he knew that that law, and then his coming and preaching that Sermon on the Mount, which, which helped him understand that it was even more than just the, the literal law, it was the heart intent in the law that caused us all to look at ourselves as unable to do it. And he said, yes, you are unable, but I am able. And that is the new covenant. Instead of sacrificing the blood of lambs, and if you read the Old, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and you see the, the way that the, the sacrifices were instituted, do you know what it looks like? When they do it, and they did this all the time, you know what it looks like? It is a bloody, bloody mess. Blood is everywhere. Those priests that were making those sacrifices, they were covered in it. And then part of the sacrificial system was them to sprinkle the blood on the people. Everybody was touched by it. And Jesus, in sharing the cup, of the covenant, the blood of the covenant was no longer the blood of those lambs. But no, it was his blood that was about to be spilled. And what did John the Baptist call him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember that announcement? When John was out baptizing, he saw Jesus coming and he just stopped in his tracks and pointed to Jesus and said, here he comes, the Lamb of God. And that's what Jesus is saying on this night at this traditional supper, that this cup that they've been drinking, now he lifts it up as Psalm 116 says, the cup of salvation is my blood shed for you. All of, the, all of that lamb blood and bull blood and dove blood, all of that blood was a picture of this blood. My blood shed for you. I'm able to do it because I'm the perfect lamb of God. John announced it correctly. John announced it properly. There's a description of how this works out for us. If you'll turn with me, and I don't, I don't have a slide for this passage, so if you, if you don't have your physical Bible, just listen. But turn with me to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll start the reading from chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a great picture of the new covenant. 
speaking of the, he had just spoken of the old, of the old covenant. And he, and, he, and he said that it was a ministry that brought death because it reminded them of their sins. Verse, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, he's picturing the Ten Commandments, if that came with glory, and if you remember the story, that came with glory. You remember what Mount Sinai looked like when Jesus was up there, when Moses was up there? Jesus was too. Um, you remember what, what, when the people looked at it, there was, there was a bright light up there and the cloud covered it and it was thunder happening. I mean, it, this was an amazing thing. And remember, Moses said, I just want to see you, you know, when you're doing this. He said, no, nobody can see me and live. He said, so put your face in the rock. As I pass by, I'll, gi- I'll just give you a glimmer. I'll just give you a little gl- a glimpse as I, as I pass by. So that was going on. So it's with gl- great glory that the, that the law came. And he says this. He says, if that ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? This is a picture of the new covenant now. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? You see, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining so bright because he just caught that glimpse of the glory of God. His face was so bright the children of Israel couldn't even look at him. It was blinding glory. He had to wear a veil over his face so they could talk to anybody until it faded away. And here the Apostle Paul is saying the glory of the new covenant never fades away. That's what what he's offering to us. He continues in this. He said, therefore, since we have such a hope We are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while their radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the new covenant. When we put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and changes us and transforms us and enables us to live our lives for his glory that never fades away. Not everybody, not everybody that we come into contact with and everybody that we share this good news with is going to understand it. They're still veiled. But when they put their trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives also and takes that veil away. And like many of us remember in our own experience, oh, that's what he's talking about. 
That's what he did. That's what happened to me. That day when the grace of God was explained to me, that it was a gift, not something that I could earn, not something I could deserve, but it was a gift to be received that was offered to me through Jesus who died for me. That's why he did it. And rose again to prove that it's true. The moment that day that I received the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into my life and forgave me of my sins and gave me the ability and the hope to live life for the glory of God. Perfectly? No. But in Christ, because of his plan, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can continually live our lives for his glory. Even when we sin, we confess that sin. He forgives us and continues to use us to shine like Moses shined when he came down from the mountain, but without a veil on. Just let people see what he's done in our lives. Let people see that it's him who's made the difference in our lives. It's him who enables us to live our lives for him and for his glory, to give him praise and to give him thanks. When you, when you thank the Lord for something and somebody who doesn't know the Lord hears you, they might say, what are you talking about? What did he have to do with it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. He had everything to do with it. And then we get to share our story. Then we get to tell him what he has done for us. And this is what Jesus was announcing when he said, this is my blood of the covenant. That when I die on this cross for you, When you put your faith in me, I am going to forgive you of all of your sins and I am going to fill you with the Holy Spirit and you are going to be able to live life shining for my glory until I call you home. And that's what this supper was representing. Look what he says to to finish out that passage in 2 Corinthians. I can't stop there. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this, this ministry We do not lose heart. What ministry? Shine. Reflect the glory of God. That's the ministry. That's what we do. It's not playing instruments. It's not singing songs. It's not preaching, although all of those things are part of it. It's what we do. It's how we live. We have this ministry. And he says we don't lose heart because of it. We always have this ministry. The Apostle Paul had this ministry in the Philippian jail. Do you remember that? He had been arrested in Philippi, had been flogged. As a Roman citizen, without a trial being flogged was illegal, but it happened to him. And instead of spending that night whining about how his rights were, 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 um, were, were taken away from him and how he was abused as a Roman citizen, instead, you know what he did? He sang praise to God. He gave thanks to God. He prayed. You know what he was doing? His ministry. He was shining. He didn't have to be free out in the streets to do that. He could do it in jail. Wherever he was, he could do his ministry. So therefore, he never lost heart. He could always do what God called him to do. So can we. We have this ministry 
of reflecting his glory. Look what he continues to say in this, response, in, the, in this regard. He says, rather, instead of losing heart, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And listen to this. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus. He's the one that does this for us. He's the one that does this in us. And it's only him. He didn't lift up the cup and say, this is one of the best options on salvation going today. He said, this is the cup of salvation that we're singing about in Psalm 116. This is the cup of the covenant of my blood. Only me. But when you receive me, you receive me. I am going to send me, the Holy Spirit, to come and live in you. And I will transform your lowly body and I will use you to shine wherever you are. And we all say, please let it not be prison like Paul. But you know what? Plenty of people since Paul have shined the light in prison. And they've shined the light in the hospital. Not as the, a chaplain, but as a patient. Chaplains too, hopefully. They shine the light in their school. They shine the light at work. They shine the light in the trenches. They shine the light wherever they go, and they're continuing to do so. And that is us. All because of Jesus. You see, this supper that he instituted, that that he started on this particular night where he transformed the Passover supper into something even more special. And the Passover supper is special, but he transformed it into something even more when he showed us through his disciples that he's there, that it's about him. It's his body that's broken, not the lamb's. He's the bread of life. Not the unleavened bread. He is the blood of that lamb. And you remember what they did that night of Passover? They had to put the blood of the lamb on the on the on the doorposts. And the angel that had come to kill the firstborn in Egypt skipped over or passed over their houses because they had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Well, Jesus' blood is the blood of the Lamb. And that statement of judgment that he, that he stated over Judas that night 
is the statement of judgment on all who reject the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. But every single person, all-inclusive, every single person who puts their trust in him, admitting their sinfulness, admitting, admitting their own inability to forgive themselves of their sins or to have their sins forgiven, they are forgiven completely and wholly and totally and utterly and eternally. Every single person, without exception. Paul's night in the Philippian jail was proof of that. The very jailer who probably told him to shut up a hundred times that night when the earthquake came and the chains fell off and the doors opened and everybody started getting ready to leave and Paul said, no, everybody stay here. We're not going anywhere. And the jailer's about to kill himself because he's lost his prisoners. Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. And that jailer who'd been listening in on all that was going on that night said, men, what must I do to be saved? You know what Jesus said? I mean, what? sorry, Paul said. Jesus is in this story. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your house. And that man received Jesus, told his family they were, they were saved and were all baptized that night. It's a great picture of everybody. Everybody. He opens it up to all who will turn to him. In this picture tonight of, of the, in Mark 14 of the cup and of the bread is a reminder that it is Jesus. Nobody else could say this. Nobody else could do this. Nobody else could die for us. A lot of people can die. We're all going to die. But only one can do it for this purpose. And that is Jesus Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. He says, and you will be saved. Remember that when we share together in the Lord's Supper. Remember that when you start thinking that you're being ineffective in your witness because you don't have a good opportunity. Remember that we never lose heart because we always have the opportunity to shine for him because we believe in him and he does that work in us. Our whole message is simple. It's just Jesus. Jesus. He died for me. He rose for me. And now he's enabled me to live my life for him. He did that for you too. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the faithfulness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went through this week that we've been reading about now for the last couple of months. On his way to the cross hurt unimaginably and especially by the, the betrayal of Judas. A man he created, a man he befriended, a man that he gave opportunities to. 
But that didn't stop him from continuing on. And so we thank you that Jesus was faithful to his task. We thank you for this great picture through the Passover supper of who he is and what he's done for us. We thank you for the new covenant where your Holy Spirit is given to all who believe to forgive us and to convict us of our sin, to lead us back to confession of our sin, to submission to you, to obedience to you, to service to our Lord. We thank you so much for making us a part of it through faith in Jesus. And Father, for those who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus, Remind them now that you are working in their lives, that you are the one that's drawing them to faith, and that today could be that day if they would put their trust in you. Letting everything else go, letting their sins go, letting their plans go, letting any efforts that they've already made or any plans that they had made to try to earn your favor. Help them to let those things go, to turn away from those things and to put their trust, their faith, their belief completely in Jesus, letting everything else go. Give them the power, the faith, the courage to do that. And we pray that you would be glorified through all of us who do. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that we would shine this light of the glory of God through the face of Christ to everyone around us. And it's in Jesus' name, our Savior, our Lord, our Creator, our Sustainer, that we pray. Amen.